Welcome to Conversation Pace. My name is Brian Rossetti. Before I dive into this episode, I want to spotlight a new feature on V.02. Recently, we released age group rankings on the mobile app. So any result you add to your calendar, you'll now see a percentage score based on your overall ranking in that distance. Navigate to your profile page and you'll see your percentage rank based on everyone's overall best VDOT performance. In the future, we plan to show the list in your age group so you can see your actual place and other runners on the platform around you. We've seen over 50,000 results on VDOT just in the first half of 2022. So we hope this spurs on your competitive spirit keeps you motivated to continue training. Okay, in episode 49, I spoke with Ari Hendricks. He's based out of Detroit, Michigan. After a finish at the Bayshore Marathon in 2.42, she's currently the fifth fastest U.S.-born African-American woman of all time. She's shown incredible and steady progress, running 3.57 in her first marathon 10 years ago. She's also now a VDOT certified coach. Check out the link in the episode profile to see your coaching page on our marketplace. As always, hope you enjoy our conversation. Ari, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is cool. So this is our first time. So we've chatted um, once before about your coaching page on VDOT. So this is the first time we're quote unquote meeting. Um, so <laughs> yeah. this is awesome. So I have a lot of questions I want to hear you know, your backstory. And so you're currently in, in Detroit right now. Yeah, we live in a suburb of Detroit called Ferndale. Um, so I've lived in Michigan for almost a little over two years. I moved like a week before COVID shut the world down. <laughs> oh, really? So what prompted the move? Um, so my girlfriend lives in Michigan and she was living in Michigan at the time. Um, we weren't together at the time, but I moved out so we could be training partners. Um, and my job agreed to relocate me. Um, so it all had worked out. Um, so so you were, were you working remotely before the pandemic or you were able to do the job from a different location otherwise? Um, so I worked for Ultra, the running shoe company, um, as a tech rep. And so my territory previously was Southern California, which is where I'm from. Um, but the position in the Michigan Detroit area was opening. And so I had asked um, for a relocation if it were possible. And that tech rep wanted to move to Denver. So it was like perfect timing that I had asked and all those parts were starting to move. So <laughs> Wait, Southern California. So did they not tell you about the weather before the so to be fair, I did I did go to college in North Dakota. So I'm not it's not unknown mm. to me living in like winterous areas. Um, but it's something that I definitely have and I'm still getting like acclimated to again. But yeah, it's very different. <laughs> I live like With- a mile from the beach, so <laughs> oh man, what a what a transition here. So um so what a worse weather, North Dakota or or Michigan? North Dakota, for sure. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Just curious, though. Um, have you guys been getting very humid? You'll get very humid summers where it's difficult to train, or it's spotty, not as bad as maybe the Northeast? Michigan is. It does get humid, so there is some adjustments. Like for workouts, we do adjust like 10 to 15 seconds, um, taking in that heat and humidity. Um, just so that we're, I'm not digging a hole uh, that I can't get out of. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different. I've spent the last two summers I've been here injured also. So this first, this is my first like full summer of training here. Um, so it's, it's new to me. So um, yeah, there's humidity that I'm not used to yet. And I wasn't a runner in college. So I, I've never run in like these conditions sort of thing. So something that I'm getting used to. <laughs> yeah, I want to get into that. Um... <laughs> Just curious, so Sandy, you said Southern California, not San Diego. Where was it? Or what? No, I lived in Ventura, so like an Ventura, hour north okay. of the day. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Okay. And then training, better, worse, similar trade-offs in terms of where you are now? Like, have you had a hard time transitioning just in terms of training? Um, No, I spent the better part of the last two years injured. Um, so my training's been kind of spotty and all over the place and I've taken like months off at a time. Um, so this, 
So I've been running since January, and this is probably like the longest stint I've had since I moved to Michigan of not being injured. Um, so it's different, right? Like winter running is we we have a Peloton, so we did a lot of like treadmill running. Um, and I have to wear like a lot more clothes in the winter than I'm used to. <laughs> so it's just different kind of stuff, right? California usually has like one season and it's 70 degrees. <laughs> so <laughs> all <Yeah>. new. <laughs> What about hills, things like that? Like, is terrain a big difference for you? Um, yeah, I mean, we go to different places to find those hills. Like, so we live near Lake Orion and Stony Creek Metro Park, which are hillier places. Um, so we definitely seek those places out. Where we live in Ferndale is flat, um, which is like where I lived in California. I lived by the beach, so I ran by the beach every day. Um, so I wasn't really doing a lot of hill training, but now um we seek it out more for sure yeah 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 cool so then what was your background where did you grow up and you said you weren't a runner where did you play sports though yeah so i grew up in southern california in ventura i went to ventura high school and um, i was actually a high school and college basketball player so i was an all-american in college um, so that's really where my background is like i never ran cross country I think I did track one year just so I could get out of conditioning for basketball and ran like one race. <laughs> um, but I didn't start running until grad school um, as a way when I was growing up, my dad always thought that I was going to be a runner. And why is that? Um, Cause I played like all kinds of other sports, right? Like, so I'm a twin and I'm the sportier of the twins. Um, so I would do like flag football and, I played basketball and I was just sort of his like little tomboy. So he'd see me running in all these different sporting events. And so like at my house, we'd, he'd have me race to the stop sign and he'd time me. And he was just convinced that I was going to be this like track running athlete. Was um, he a runner or was he into the sport at all or no? No, he was a fishing boat captain. So like a dive boat captain. Um, so I guess like in his own way, he was an athlete, right? Diving and things like that, but yeah. not a runner. Um, nobody in my family is a runner, so I'm different, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> That's calm. I got, yeah, I got into running my, during grad school because he passed away my senior year of college. Um, so as a way to stay connected to him, um, I took on, took up running and yeah, kind of just stuck. That's cool. But then growing up playing basketball, there was the association. Was it kind of like, oh, running's punishment, go run a lap when you screw up in practice? Was that kind of your attitude towards it at that point? Just curious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wasn't like a huge fan, right? I'm only running up and down the distance of the court. Um, so we didn't do a ton of like long distance mile kind of runs and conditioning. There's a lot of like sprinting and stuff. So it's very different than training for a marathon and things like that. Yeah, like suicides or do they still call them that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that, those used to drive me nuts. But I always think about that because I remember athletes on my team playing basketball, like complaining about having to run laps because they did something or weren't paying attention. It was punishment. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for my dad, getting us into running where to me, it wasn't a big deal to run a few laps. Right. But I, I often wonder if I didn't have that background from my family because we didn't have it in the town. We grew up in a town where no one was running. Um, oh, okay, okay. Especially back then it was basketball, baseball, football. That was it. You know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I always wonder about that. It's, it's a bummer for anyone who, you know, doesn't have that, connection through their family growing up otherwise it's hard to connect with the sport you know yeah it's definitely different <laughs> for sure <laughs> so basketball you you had success that's really cool where did you play? uh minot state so it's a university in in minot north dakota and i did read um okay so that's why you were in north dakota <laughs> yeah. you just didn't decide like that's where i want to be north dakota. no <laughs> <laughs> um what division was was that now so at the time it was naia um now Got it's it. a division two school okay cool and you had success in college you were playing i'm point assuming guard. point guard, <laughs> not center 
Not to be confused with sinner, yeah. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, I didn't mean to offend you there, but I was just making a guess. Uh, so, okay, so point guard. And you, you even played or, or tried, like the goal at that point was to play professionally, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that was always my goal as a, as a little kid growing up was that I wanted to play professionally. And um, at the end of my senior year, I did try out for um, several overseas teams. And none of the uh, tryouts panned out. So um, I spent a year back in California, sort of like trying to find my way and sort of figure things out. Um, and about a year after I left, after my senior year, my college coach called and asked if I wanted to be an assistant coach. Um, so I went back and, and, and did grad school, and that's when I started running. No way. Okay, so your your fitness was good, but it was just basketball fitness. It was just very limited running. Yeah, um, definitely. A lot of like weightlifting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then what, so you're saying when you became a coach, that mm -hmm. got you more into conditioning and running or now you just had time and you, what, what made the connection? What kind of hooked you to, to start running before you were thinking about races? Yeah. I mean, so to be fair, I did sign up for my first race and that's really what um, oh, nice. made me start training. Um, so I signed up for a marathon first. I sort of went from like zero to a hundred. Um, and, and what was, uh, what, but what prompted you to go right to the marathon? Was it friends or you were just seeing it happening or, and got curious or what? I thought that would be the biggest challenge, um, that I could find in running. Um, so I just went with that. Uh, and that's, so I nice. signed up for, that was in January and I signed up for a marathon in September. <laughs> and so how did it go the transition just were you following stuff online or just kind of making it up as you went just curious um I just followed stuff online um I can't exactly remember like what it was that I followed but it was definitely like just some like free program that I found online and sort of tried to stick with it as best I can I did a lot of treadmill running because I obviously started in the winter um, I couldn't even tell you what, like, if I did any workouts, I don't think that I did. I think it was just like a lot of easy running and sort of whatever that was, that was, I didn't really have like a watch or anything until probably like closer to the race. So it was just a lot of getting out and running and sort of trying to run as far as I could every day. Kind of thing. What was the marathon again that you chose? Um, uh, Bismarck. So oh, it's Bismarck. The capital of Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. Like an, and what, what's the Okay. What's the course like? Dude? So it actually ran around our like rival college, <laughs> which was a little weird, but um, it was kind of, it like ran up a bluff and then around the college and then back down. And it was like a two loop course. Um, so yeah, just two wow. loops of 13.1. Wow. And <laughs> okay. So what, what happened during the training? Like, what did you learn and what, did you learn a lot the hard way and, and how did it go? I learned, I feel like I learned a lot. Um, just sort of like how to sort of try and stick to a plan um, as best I could. It's been like 10 years now, so I can't really like recall a ton of things. I do think at one point I thought it was, the training was really difficult. Um, and I may have taken like a week off to sort of figure out if I really could do it. Um, at the time I was in graduate school, I was also coaching. I had another job outside of school and coaching. So there was a lot of um, wake ups at 4am going to bed at 10 or 11 with like work and, and running and fitting it all in. Um, but I was determined to make it to this marathon and not walk was was my sole goal like I didn't have like any kind of time goal or anything I just didn't want to walk the marathon <laughs> and that kept you motivated to to stay your very I thought sticking to a plan definitely that's cool that's great so what did you end up how did it go the race oh it went great I mean at the time it was the hardest thing I'd ever ever done mm. as an athlete um I didn't walk and I finished in 357 nice. and it was like stoked about it like I was calling everybody like 
I was like so stoked on the metal and like the whole experience and just sort of all of it. <laughs> this was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yep. 2012. That's great. And when you, so when you finished your, I want to do another one or was that just like, that was great. I did it. And I don't know about this running thing. How, what was your mindset at that point? Um, I was definitely hooked. Like yeah. if you probably if you had asked me like during the race and I was like in extreme pain, maybe not. <laughs> but as soon as I crossed the finish line, I was like, okay, I accomplished that goal. And so what could I set out as my next goal in the marathon? Um, sort of what could I do next? And that's when I decided I wanted to try and qualify for Boston. Nice. And where does that come from? You think just this like goal setting was that, have you always been like that or did someone, is that something your coach in basketball, you know, talked about or where did that come from? You think? I've, I've always wanted, I've always been that way. Um, I've always had goals for myself and things that I wanted to accomplish uh, my parents are very successful and were very successful in their fields uh, and professions. Um, so it's something that I've always seen, like, you know, my mom's a backup singer for Barry Manilow. And that takes a lot of uh, work and um, putting everything into her career and, and doing everything she can. Um, and she started as like a little girl. And that was like her dream. Um, and my dad was one of the best boat captains on the West Coast. Um so it, it's something that's instilled in me from my family of like setting goals and achieving them. And even if I don't achieve them, it's not, we're not like make it or break it. It's just something that I've always seen as a kid and I've seen my family be successful and I want to be successful. And uh, so I've always set goals for myself and sort of try to stick with them. That's so cool. Is, so <laughs> you said your mom currently is, or that was something she did in the past or is she, she currently still is. No yep. way. This seems with Barry. <laughs> That's cool. Any other big acts that she supported or anything solo? Um, Tom Jones, Natalie Cole, Sammy Davis Jr., Stevie Wonder. Wow. So she's been, she's been around. <laughs> That's incredible. Where does she yeah. live now? So she lives in, in California still. Um, and then yeah. Barry has a residency in Vegas. So she's there two weekends a month. Oh, wow. Super <laughs> cool. Do you go watch her now? Have you seen her perform a lot? Um, I have a lot as a kid. We'd go on tour with her and then, yeah, whenever I'm in town and if she has something that I can go to, definitely, I definitely try to. Do you, do you have any interest in music too, or no? That was always like sports. That's mom's thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sports. And I have a twin sister and so she's a singer and, and she does that. So. <laughs> okay. That's cool. Very cool. Um, okay. So get us from years ago, 357, you're hooked. And so do you jump into another marathon or what happens then? Yeah. So I ran my first marathon in September in Bismarck. And then I set the goal and I ran LA that March um, to try and qualify for Boston. And I did. And so I, I cut my marathon time down by over 20 minutes um, in that time frame. Was it just more running or did you really start to get into the training side or was it just like I said, just doing more consistent running. I think it was just doing more consistent running um, and sort of trying to learn the sport a little bit more. So obviously nutrition, I think my first marathon, I didn't know what like gels were. Um, <laughs> so taking in gels and yeah, more running and things like that. Um, but still not very like savvy of the sport, like really understanding, but getting there yeah yeah so wait second one you qualify for boston what did you run there and where um so i ran 332 at the la marathon in March right. of 2013. okay cool um how, how many miles a week you think you were running at that point oh gosh um if i were to guess i would say like 30. 30 and yeah. not logging it like at that point are you not logging you're not yeah I'm not keeping like, yeah, I'm like probably following like a piece of paper that I've printed off, but also not like marking whether or not I completed it. Um, yeah. It would take a few years for me to really, and not probably until I got a coach, am I even paying attention to miles and like what workouts I'm doing? So it would be 
gosh, probably like six years before I started like really grasping how many miles I'm running and like what true workouts are. Wow. Okay. So in those six years, is it just a steady progression? Like, were there any setbacks or moments where like, okay, cool. I've done this. I don't need to keep like, or was this just a steady progression to where you are now? Um, it's a steady progression. So I ran 332 at LA. I would go back and run the Bismarck marathon again that September and I'd win the race and run 315. Cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. So that was like a lot of fun. And then, yeah, I'd spend really the next like four, five years, six years, sort of just trying to bring that time down. Um, I, I think I'd get to about 308 on my own um, okay. before, before I want before I ha- wanted to hire a coach and sort of like take it to the next level because then my goal became obviously sort of to break three hours. And I knew that I would need something a little like some type of guidance and help to do that because I'd become kind of like bored, I guess, with doing the same sort of thing that's working, but maybe not as well as it could have. I'm not really understanding what I would need to do to take it to the next level. Um, so I needed some type of like guidance and help. I, I, I thought to, to get to that sub three. Were you training with a club or with friends or a group at that point or no? No, um, running by myself. Um, when I was still living in North Dakota, I'd run with the head coach sometimes. Um, she ran in the mornings. So when our schedules like lined up, we'd go for runs together that she would just tell me we're four miles because she knew the route. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> but yeah. um, I wasn't running with a club or anything. I worked at a running store when I moved back to California, but I didn't really run with the club. Okay. Um, all right. So you hire a coach and, and the goal now is sub three. The goal now is sub three. That's awesome. And yeah. how long ago was that now? Um, I ran sub three in 2018. So, uh, four years ago, four years ago, man, it's incredible just to see. I mean, it's just so often you see like this, someone catapults, you know, if they get into running, realize they had a lot of talent and then there's that huge jump mm-hmm. um, once they start getting into training. I always like a steadier improvement because probably they're not taking on as much risk and, and um, right. so it's nice. And plus it's how great is it just to keep improving over time yeah. versus dealing with that frustration of like, I just want one more minute or it's never going to come or, Sometimes it takes many years, especially as the distance gets shorter, obviously, but this is crazy. So 10 years, 357, mm-hmm. and it's still going. 242, <laughs> 242 now, I'm just going to – Yeah. And people will know when they read the episode. But you've run recently 242. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- three, four years ago? Four years ago in um, – Ventura, so my hometown's marathon. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're just continuing. Have you changed coaches a few times, or how has it progressed from there? Um, yeah. So I, I've i only had two coaches in my career. Um, and at the time, I was being coached by somebody different. Um, and I'd say he was my coach for – a year and a half, about a year and a half um, before my now girlfriend is my coach. At the time, we were just, uh, she's been my coach since 2019. Um, so that's how oh, we for the for the past three years. Awesome. <laughs> and this is Sydney. I've, I've yes. seen this, right? Yeah. So Sydney, <laughs> yeah. I think I've met Sydney very briefly at the Olympic trials um, when I met with with the McCurdy group and she was, she was around, and I, but it was just sort of in passing. But um, I didn't realize that first when, when we first started chatting, that's great. So yeah. it seems to be working. Um, <laughs> yeah. I always wonder about that, like thing, like 
has that that dynamic, but it seems like um, it seems like maybe the relationship's even stronger, which is incredible. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we do obviously. We she's a, a much higher caliber runner than I am, so there are we don't do workouts together. Um, sometimes we don't even run easy together, um, just so that I can sort of not try and like overdo anything to try and like keep up sort of thing. So, and that was like a learning curve that we had to adjust to. Right. Right. Well, you're chasing her down right now. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So, okay. Interesting. So when you started working with Sydney, what were some of the, the big changes you think in, in terms of their impact on you continuing to move forward? I mean, now you've been running for a while, so this is not easy. Keep finding ways to get, you know, getting faster and faster. That obviously just makes it harder to keep dropping time. But um, you've been going for so long. What are some of the difference makers, you think? Um, so by the, by the time Sydney was coaching me, my goal had become to try an OTQ. So she started coaching me in May of 2019. So obviously that didn't leave a ton of time to try and do that. Um, and my PR at the time was 257. So um, we, my mileage was at probably like 50 to 60 miles um, is what she had me at in those, the cycle to the Indy Marathon. Um, so definitely different workouts that I'd never done before, which was really exciting. Um, and I started to see times reflected in my workouts and she saw them too, that we thought an OTQ was possible. Um, so definitely an increase in mileage and faster workouts. Um, and I tried the OTQ at Indy in 2019. And that was my first like experience in really winter running. Um, I was still living in California at the time. And so it was probably like 20 degrees at Indy by the time I got there to race. Um, so I dropped at 16. <laughs> oh, man. It was 20 at the start? Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's brutal. Was it just like hands or what was what was getting you at that point that forced you to drop out? Anything specific? Um, I mean, it was really just like the cold, the cold. I, I, I was coming from 70 degrees and nothing felt easy. Like everything felt like I was trying really hard and I wasn't even touching marathon pace that I touched in workouts. And we had talked like before the race that I still could do Houston. Like I'd gotten into Houston um, in the ADP field. And so that was a possibility if Indy didn't work, but I wasn't going to run beyond 20 in Indy to sort of save myself for Houston. Um, So that was always a part of the plan. Um, And it was the first time that I was wearing the next percent. Um, from Nike and that shoot that foam reacts a bit differently in colder weather um, that I wasn't aware of so the shoe mm-hmm. even felt different on my foot and sort of hitting the ground um, so nothing was coming together like I needed it to at Indy so um, I dropped at 16. All right fine so it happens <laughs> yeah. um, so interesting about the shoe and just I mean so many runners that's the the tough thing about the marathon traveling like you just you get different weather than you trained in and oh man it's it's a struggle um okay so two and then so you went to houston at that point and you're shooting for at at that point it was 245 right just anything Mm -hmm. under 245 yeah under sub 245 was the goal and you felt like training it was there already. Like you, you had a legitimate shot. Yeah. Yeah. After Indy, I came to Michigan um, and trained with Sydney for a week. So she could, so she saw my biggest workouts um, going into Houston. So she could like see me in person. Right. It's like um, she could see like what I looked like running that pace, sort of how it was feeling. She ran my simulator with me. Um, so it was definitely like something we both thought was, a, was possible. Everything was what's, saying that it was possible. What's the simulator that you guys do? Is it is it something consistent or it depends on the buildup? Um, so at that time it was two by six, two by six miles. 
at marathon pace. Um, now I do a, a half marathon simulator, but at and the time it was two by six. Meaning you race the half or you just do your, your goal pace in, in the half? Um, goal pace in the half, if I like can find a race, but for Bayshore, there wasn't, um, I just did it at like, we have a, one of the Metro parks is six mile, a six mile loop. So I did that twice plus 0.1. Um, and that was my simulator. Gotcha. Okay. And then what happened in Houston? Sort of the same, like I just sort of fell apart at halfway. I was with, uh, there was a huge group trying to OTQ of, I would say of like 50 plus women. Yeah. Um, and it, it could be that I struggled with like, I thought, I thought I believed that it was possible. Maybe somewhere in my psyche, I was actually more nervous than I gave myself credit for. Um, and halfway, I sort I just like shot off the back of the group. Um, and they were gone. And I ran, I ran G54, so still a PR, but 10 minutes off of what, uh, was the goal and what I thought was possible. So it's pretty devastating because that was the last, that was the last chance. Like it wasn't going to happen after that. Sure. Sure. Did the group, did you find the, like being in a big group like that helpful and just kind of going for a ride or did you, do you think that the downsides or did it bother you? I'm just curious. Some people like, like it, uh, it can be super helpful, especially if it was windy. But I'm just curious how, was there too much pressure? Like, I've got to stay with this group. The moment it gets mm -hmm. tougher, they I let go, it's over, you know, versus running your own race. Yeah, I think now in hindsight, I'd never run like that, right? I'm used to running by myself. Um, so a group of 50 plus, I did feel like I had to stay like with the group. Like they are the the time that is like the OTQ. <laughs> if that group moves, so does the OTQ. And there were so many women. I remember some women fell like on turns and things like you were, I heard like women hit the ground, like bibs were like coming off. Um, so it's just, it's just a lot. And I think if I were to run, like I'm running CIM in December um, for my OTQ attempt I think I'll be more apt to run my race, my race, and maybe off the group. Um, I don't think I'll get in the mix so much as just running my own race and my own sort of splits. Yeah, I like that so much better. CIM is a great race. Have you been out there or done that yet? I have not. People are shocked since I'm from California, but I've not done it. Is, has <laughs> Sydney done it? Has she done it yet? Does she? Not? Um, she's no. not. She's doing it also. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a great race. Um, I would say a lot of like long, subtle descents and stuff you should really train for. Um, that, you know, like, I would be aware of that in the first half. Yeah, but it like it more rolls down yes. than like shoots straight down. <laughs> yeah, everyone's exactly there. There are sometimes it's gentle, the rises, but I think the down parts, they're long. So mm -hmm. if you're not careful about your stride, like if your foot's coming out in front of you a little bit, cause you're just mm -hmm. kind of coasting and not focused on turnover and you're kind of holding back a little, you mm -hmm. can get into some issues. And then you want to take advantage. That last 10 K I think is pretty much a pancake. I think. Okay. You know, I think that's what I've heard too. Yeah. Yeah. It's flat that last 10 K. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it could be a great one. I think you just got to prepare mentally and, and physically for that, that for rolling. Sure. People look at these like course profiles and I think get confused about it and then maybe don't prepare as much for the course, you know, yeah. and, the, and they pay for it. So, um, but that's exciting. That's a great race. So, okay. So how do you get your confidence back 10 minutes? That's a, that's a big chunk of time. Mm -hmm. So how do you get it back? Where do you go from that point? Did you struggle for a little bit, like on whether that goal was reasonable or did you just, you know, put your head down and, and keep working? Um, so I, I think immediately I was, I was really heartbroken, obviously. 
Um, I didn't think that it was a goal that was unachievable. Um, I just thought I had a really bad day and it was a bad day to have a bad day sort of thing. Um, but I do remember I didn't, so Houston would happen and it was after Houston and like maybe like a little bit before that I had made the decision that I wanted to move to Michigan. Um, so there was immediately a lot of like, I was more focused on like buying a house and moving out to Michigan and making that all work. Um, I wanted to move by March. And so I was still recovering from the marathon. So not doing like a ton of training. Um, and I'm not sure at what point if I ever like, I signed up for the Pittsburgh marathon and that would be May 5th with the still the, like the, still the goal is to run that time. Um, Cause eventually, you know, the qualifying standard is going to come out again and it'll either be the same or faster, which we now know it's faster. <laughs> um, and so I would move to Michigan in March and at the same time, COVID would shut everything down. So now I'm, I don't have to work. I'm working remotely, just taking meetings. And so Sydney and I started training a lot. Um, and I would, we'd start running, we peaked at 115 miles. Whoa, um, okay. That's yeah. serious. And yeah. This was, this was the result of the pandemic, essentially. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, running in the morning, running in the evening. My easy run started to get a lot faster. I was running fa faster than I'd ever run easy runs, um, long runs and things like that. And so obviously Pittsburgh wasn't going to happen, but they were still marathon like situation. And so a week before, or maybe like four or five days before that date, we decided that we would run pit virtually also. Um, so we mapped out a course like in our neighborhood because I lived mm, less than a mile from Sydney. Um, so we mapped out a course and we the goal was like 252. Um, so like a two minute PR, like let's just see how it goes. Um, and we ended up running 244. No. Yeah. <laughs> no way. And yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> So obviously transition to the high, high volume didn't bother you. There was no like, this was going well, you were running a lot and then it caught up to you at any point. You just settled in and adapted pretty well. So it caught up to me probably <laughs> like 10 days before I actually ran the virtual marathon. Oh, wow. Yeah. But not was, injury, just meaning you're, you feel exhausted or. Yeah. So it, it was an injury. Like, about mm. 10 days before the marathon, we were on a long run and I'd made a comment about like feeling something in my hip. Um, and I, we hadn't taken any days off. Um, we sort of were just like hammering away at mileage. Um, and so the Friday before the virtual marathon, I'd take my first rest day where I didn't run because it was just like the pain was like starting to run down my leg and I didn't know what it was, but I was still going to run this virtual marathon. Um, and so I did, and that would start this pattern of injury for the next two years. It would end up being a stress reaction in my tibia. Mm. Um, but if, but I would, I for the next two years, go through a cycle of two sacral stress fractures, oh, yeah. my tibia okay. stress fracture, um, and just like injury after injury sort of thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. I was going to be surprised a little bit that, <laughs> you just bumped to that much mileage and it just boom new yeah. marathon PR and everything else is golden um yeah oh, so you, but you still got through that race were mm -hmm. you just in pain the whole way or did, did just tight and at that point I mean it was yes it was painful I think also one of the biggest things that I didn't do is take any time off after that marathon it wasn't like I ran the marathon and I was like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm going to stop running. It was like, oh, what's the next thing? Like, let's keep running. Even though I can barely run because of my leg, um, I continued to try to run for probably like two or three weeks before mm. it was like an absolute no. <laughs> so we share this in common, sacral stress fractures. Um, mm -hmm. 
worst injury of my life. Um, how how have you gotten over it? Like, have you been, are you still working through it? Or is this something you feel like you've addressed now and are in a better place? I think I've addressed it now. Um, I've It's been one year almost that I've not had any injuries. Nice. Um, so I'm doing a lot of like strength training, foam rolling, um, and things that should be addressing that. Um, so I knock on wood, haven't had any issues for about a year. Okay, good. And then (laughs) where's your volume now? Um, so I'm in sort of like a speed segment, um, for Bayshore, I didn't go over 80, 89 miles was my highest mileage week. Um, right now I ran 80 last week. Um, so that, and that's the highest I've hit since Bayshore. So I probably so won't you, go over 80 until, until like training. So, yeah, yeah. so for the virtual, you were 110 plus, you said for 244. Yeah. And then you dropped for Bayshore, you dropped back to a peak of 80 some, 89, you said? Yeah. 89 was the highest, highest week. Nice. And then you got another two minutes 242 there right yep (laughs) so do you feel is that a lesson to you like okay i don't have to run that much or the question's always like did that high mileage give you that foundation now you don't train as hard but some point i gotta go back just curious where you guys mindset is at or have you decided because of the injuries i need to keep it a little bit lower this is where I can function and and keep progressing. Maybe what's the balance, you know? Yeah. I think for Bayshore, we definitely didn't want to go over 90. Like that was a a definite no. Um, And a lot of, I think in my build to Bayshore, I also did like in VDOT, it tells you how, what your percentage of like efforts are. So like easy runs, threshold runs for my base. Base or build, I think my percentage was like 94% of easy running. So I also wasn't doing a ton of workouts. Um, so I was running higher mileage, 89, with no workouts. So now I think the question more so becomes, what does that mileage look like? Maybe with an, a little bit of an increase, but also like doing workouts <laughs> and see yeah. what that sort of turns into. Yeah. Um, so I think what we're, what we're going to explore more for the CIN build. That's good. I'm glad you mentioned that feature. I, I just, I hope people take advantage of it and figure out what's the balance that works best for them. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not a, it's not a formula that works for everyone in terms of volume and then how much quality. And um, sometimes we've seen coaches just focus on rep pace mm-hmm. and have individuals you know, improve their marathon because they've neglected it totally thinking it's a marathon. Why do I have to do that much rep? But then you get to a point where you're, I've been doing this for 10 years been running a lot. I'm healthy now. What's going to be the difference maker? Like you're looking for a few more minutes, obviously. So um, I'm glad, I'm just glad to hear that. Um, Okay, cool. So then right now you're kind of finding what that balance is going to be CIM. You still have what, probably 20 weeks or more at this point. Um, yeah. I think, I think more than 20. I, I'm like, it's still like four or five months away. Right. <laughs> so December, yeah. Like first week of December usually. Right. Yeah. December 4th. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm just thinking New York is probably what, 14 weeks away. Um, so Chicago and- is like 10. And so, yeah, 14 for New York. So, like, 18 to 20 weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, you're, like, just getting into the build-up or have you really already started? Is it this a longer one? How are you guys approaching it? Um. So, I'm doing a shorter – I'm still in, like, a faster segment. I have some 5Ks and 10Ks coming up um, in August and September. My goal half will be in October – and then I'll probably get into more like marathon specific stuff, but um, I have like bigger goals in the half right now. I'd like to run 119, 118 in September, 
which would be a huge, which would be like a two minute jump. Um, so getting sort of that half marathon 10 K speed for like the next four to six weeks. Do you, do you feel like your strength lies in the longer distance races? I was curious cause you kind of jumped right into marathoning and is there speed there? Like, cause you never really focused on 5k, 10k or do you know now we didn't talk a lot about your racing history, but do you, is it clear to you that the marathon is like your stronger distance? I think that the marathon is my stronger distance. I've never raced a half just like off a build of a half, right? It's, it's always been in a build to a marathon. So I am excited to see sort of what September brings since I won't have, I'm, I won't be in the middle of a marathon segment at that point. Um, but for now, yeah, I mean, I PR'd in the half um, in at the Bayshore Marathon. <laughs> so uh, I think the marathon is my, my strong suit. That's awesome. I was going to say, because you were saying that 118, 119, mm-hmm. I just just verified it, but the, the VDOT equivalent is 243 for the marathon. Mm-hmm. Which you've run faster than. Yeah. <laughs> so you higher. I mean, it it happens. We just tend to mm-hmm. see often that someone's highest V dot tends to be like the mile, the five k, the ten k compared right. to their marathon. And yes, I always say, well, you know, it's much harder to score that high for a twenty six <laughs> mile race. You know, there's so many things yes. that can go wrong in that race <laughs> versus a ten minute race or a fifteen minute race or twenty minute race. So. Um, that's, that's incredible. So you're much stronger as the distance goes on. But as you said, how often have you run a half where you're just training for the half or you're not in the middle of a buildup? Right. It's, it's hard when you're really gunning for the marathon to like focus on anything else, you know, unless you're really going to take a year off from it and, and do some other things. Exactly. So I think that's also why like CIM is a bet is the best option because it's so far away and leaves room for some other like shorter fun stuff before the big. And okay. So that's sort of strategy is like, let's get faster for some shorter races, mm-hmm. be more confident, feel more speed before you jump back in. I love it. Yeah. Definitely trying to make marathon pace feel a little bit easier by doing some faster stuff. Um, first. It's great. Yeah. We always recommend that like between buildups, like take time. People will often ask us like, what do I do now? Um, and we try and encourage them not to go right into that next buildup after a few weeks off. It's like, mm-hmm. no, get fast for 5k, um, mm-hmm. get fast for 10k. And then as you said, when you go back into that, the long, you know, sessions, Mm-hmm. easier you can make those feel the more confident you're going to be you're probably less likely to get hurt um recover faster so yeah it's a it's too bad that most people they just get caught in that cycle like two a year and you don't have much you know wiggle room between them if you're recovering properly hopefully you're not you know spending a few weeks and then going into the next one right yeah and like I think, especially now living in Michigan, where it's like hot and humid, doing marathon work now would be extremely difficult. <laughs> right, right. Like some those qualities. Demoralizing. Just, yeah. Not just difficult. It, it's like demoralizing. It's like yes. You, like imagines you yourself in the race. Like how can I do this for twenty six point two? Yeah. Yeah. So that's also a big factor is just keeping the workout shorter and not being so exposed. So now you're getting into, it's awesome that you've been a coach. Um, now you're, are you getting into runners now or have you been doing it? And we're just seeing you pop up on VDOT as a coach too, or have you, is this fairly new for you at this point? Um, it's fairly new. Um, I do have an athlete that I coach, uh, in Detroit, um, but sort of expanding my horizon and bringing on more athletes is, is new and exciting and, um, something I look forward to for sure. That's awesome. Um, okay, cool. So not too much to talk about yet Mm -hmm. on coaching, but I hope, hopefully we can circle back with you and hear more about it. I mean, I think you have great history and experience now that you can transfer 
um, to these athletes and sound like you have a knack for it. To be yeah, I'm really excited. School. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm stoked. So a lot and, of like coaching and personal training experience. So I think it'll all, it'll all go well. <laughs> nice. On the, so on the strength stuff, does that also come natural naturally to you too, because you've been doing it um, with conditioning for basketball and um, as well, what's your background there? Yeah. So I was the, as a part of being the grad assistant coach, I took on the responsibility of doing the the team's preseason strength and conditioning program. Um, so I did that for two years and then I was a personal trainer um, for about three years. Uh, so yeah, a lot, I do have a lot of passion in strength and conditioning also um, coming from those backgrounds. So it's really exciting for me. And I love, I love lifting and I love teaching people how to do it and, and talking about it. So it's a lot of fun for me. And what athletes are you, are you looking to, or really any runners that are kind of looking to improve races, specifically marathon or really across the board? Um, across the board. I mean, even just like general fitness, right? Like getting in shape and, and working out. Um, but yeah, any kind of um, racing or distances, um, 5k to the marathon. Um, are what I'd be most comfortable with um, and have the most experience with. Nice. All right, Ari, it was great talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks.